Hello, and welcome to the Turbulent World of Middle East Soccer, or Mid-East Soccer Podcast. I'm your host, James Dorsey. For Gulf leaders, long overdue economic reforms were never going to be easy. Leaders like the Crown Princess of Saudi Arabia and the United Arab Emirates, Mohammed bin Salman and Mohammed bin Zayed, quickly discovered that copying China's model of economic growth while tightening political control was easier said than done. They realized that rewriting social contracts funded by oil wealth was more difficult because Gulf Arabs had far more to lose than the average Chinese. The Gulf state's social contracts had worked in ways China's welfare programs had not. The Gulf frontier state's bargain, surrender of political and social rights for cradle-to-grave welfare, had produced a win-win situation for the longest time. Moreover, Gulf leaders struggling with mounting criticism of the Saudi-UAE-led war in Yemen and the fallout of the killing of journalist Jamal Khashoggi also lacked the political and economic clout that allowed China to largely silence or marginalize critics of its crackdown on Turkic Muslims in the troubled northwestern province of Xinjiang. The absence of a functioning welfare-based social contract in China allowed the government to power economic growth, lift millions out of poverty, and provide public goods without forcing ordinary citizens to suffer pain. As a result, China was able to push through with economic reforms without having to worry that reduced welfare benefits would spark a public backlash and potentially threaten the regime. Three years into Mohammed bin Salman's Vision 2030 blueprint for diversification of the economy, Saudi businesses and consumers complain that they are feeling the pinch of utility price hikes and a recently introduced 5% value-added tax, with little confidence that the government will stay the course to ensure promised long-term benefits. The government's commitment to cutting costs has been further called into question by annual handouts worth billions of dollars since the announcement of the reforms and the unilateral rewriting of the social contract to cushion the impact of rising costs and quash criticism. In contrast to China, investment in the Gulf, whether it is domestic or foreign, comes from financial, technology, and other services sectors, the arms industry or governments. It is focused on services, infrastructure, or enhancing the state's capacities, rather than on manufacturing, industrial development, and the nurturing of a private sector. With the exception of national oil companies, some state-run airlines, and petrochemical companies, the bulk of Gulf investment is portfolios managed by sovereign wealth funds, trophies, or investment designed to enhance a country's prestige and soft power. By contrast, Asian economies such as China and India have used investment to fight poverty, foster a substantial middle class, 
and create an industrial base. To be sure, with small populations, Gulf states are more likely to ensure sustainability in services and oil and gas derivatives rather than in manufacturing and industry. China's $1 trillion Belt and Road Initiative, or BRI, may be the Asian exception that would come closest to some of the Gulf states' soft power investments. Yet, the BRI, designed to alleviate domestic overcapacity by state-owned firms that are not beholden to shareholders' short-term demands and or geopolitical gain, contributes to China's domestic growth. Asian nations have been able to manage investors' expectations in an environment of relative political stability. By contrast, Saudi Arabia damaged confidence in its ability to diversify its oil-based economy when after repeated delays, it suspended plans to list 5% of its national oil company, the Saudi Arabian Oil Company, or Aramco, in what would have been the world's largest initial public offering. To be sure, China is no less autocratic than the Gulf states, while Hindu nationalism in India fits a global trend towards civilizationalism, populism, and illiberal democracy. What differentiates much of Asia from the Gulf and accounts for its economic success are policies that ensure a relatively stable environment. These policies are focused on social and economic enhancement, rather than primarily on regime survival. That may be Asia's lesson for Gulf rulers. Thank you for joining me today. I hope you enjoyed the podcast. A written version of this podcast is on my blog, The Turbulent World of Middle East Soccer at MideEastSoccer.blogspot.com. Please join me for my next podcast in the coming days. All the best and take care.